Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Exploring science in the sea. High school science teachers might be looking for some new lab experiments in the coming months. That's because one of the main supplies for a classic experiment is getting both more expensive and harder to find. Auger is the gelatin-like substance that's layered in the bottom of petri dishes. It's a great material for growing cultures of bacteria and fungi because it stays solid at high temperatures. It's stronger than gelatin, and the bacteria don't eat it. Auger is made from a type of seaweed that's found in cool, shallow waters around the world. The seaweed is a type of red algae, When it's boiled, the cell walls of the algae release the auger. It's typically dried for shipping, then reconstituted when it's used. Recently, demand has been growing while supplies have been shrinking. Demand is going up because auger can be used for much more than lining petri dishes. It's used as a thickener in soup, jelly, and ice cream, and other desserts. Vegetarians use it as a substitute for gelatin, which is an animal-based product and it's also found in laxatives and other non-food products. Much of the world's supply of auger comes from Morocco, where the seaweed is gathered from the beaches after storms. The Moroccan government has cut the amount that can be harvested by more than half and limited how much can be sold to other countries. That's caused some companies to slow or even stop production, especially for scientific uses. So there's less of it for hospitals, labs, and high school classes. Science and the Sea is a production of the University of Texas Marine Science Institute at Port Aransas and is available as a weekly podcast at scienceandthesea.org. I'm Holly Brawley. K-C-A-A If you're booking a cruise out of Galveston, we suggest you add a few days to your vacation and rent a Galveston Island beachfront home. Our fully furnished homes are equipped with central air, washer-dryers, dishwashers, cable, wireless internet, and unlimited telephone service. Step off the lower deck of your beachfront vacation home and walk 50 feet to the tideline, where you can fish for speckled trout, redfish, and whiting. Watch the pelicans, and they'll show you where to cast your line. Enjoy horseback riding on the beach, jet skiing, deep sea fishing, dolphin tours, Schlitterbahn Water Park, and the famous Moody Gardens. Tour historical homes, art galleries, and antique shops, and enjoy Galveston's nightlife with award-winning restaurants and live music from jazz to rock and roll. Our homes rent for less than hotel rooms on a per-occupant basis. Call 832-452-0528 or visit our website, www.texasbeachfrontvacations.com. Your voice, your opinions, heard round the world at www.kcaaradio.com. The station that leaves no listener behind, KCAA. KCAA Radio now joins the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas, with Pastor David McNary. Four passages of Scripture today, so we're just going to jump right in and we're going to run right along, okay? We're going to start with John chapter 6. We're going to begin in John chapter 6. You know, when we come to church, we like to be what I call fluffed. You like to be fluffed? Everybody likes to be fluffed a little bit. We enjoy hearing about the love of God, and we like to be encouraged in our times of difficulty, and we we want the preacher to tell us how valuable and good we are. We like to be reminded that 
Jesus did die in our place, which He did, and, and that He paid the price for our sins and that we're totally forgiven, that we're totally set free, and that when God looks at us, He sees us as, as perfect, okay? As perfect. You know, I've discovered that by the fluffing people, you can build churches. Y'all notice that? Do you ever watch any of these preachers on TV? They tell you all the good stuff, tell you how to get rich, send them some money and you'll get rich. Amen. Don't send me any money. You won't get rich from sending me money. I'll tell you that for sure. But God will provide for you as you give unto the work of the Lord. But sometimes, sometimes there, there comes a time when we need to be rebuked. That's a, that's a good Bible word, rebuke. Rebuke and reprove are bitter pills and we don't like it very much. We don't like to hear anybody talk about our sins. Okay, We don't want to hear about that. Somebody say amen, please. We don't want to hear about our sins. You know, we don't even call them sins anymore. We call them mistakes. Is a sin a mistake? No, it's a choice. Okay, it's a choice. We like to talk about our failures. Well, we don't want anybody to know we fail, but we like to talk about them as failures or maybe shortcomings. That's a good word for sin. It's our our shortcomings. In other words, it's what we do, but we can't help it. If it's a shortcoming, that's what that means, right? Or, or maybe we call them misconceptions, but sometimes it's necessary for the Lord to use these tools. What tools? Rebuke and reproof to teach us the ways of the Christian life. And that's our subject today is the way of the Christian life. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, I charge thee therefore before God, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, listen, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Now listen, that was back in the olden days, uh, back in way before the olden days, whenever Paul wrote those words. You see, it was important and necessary even in those days to reprove and rebuke and certainly to exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Paul wrote to Titus and he said, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly. Now that denying doesn't mean that we deny that it's a reality. It means that we deny it any effect in our personal lives. So he says, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now listen, I want to tell you something. You need to know something today. What you need to know that this is the will of God. It is God's will that you live your life soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of Christ who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people. Dr. Manuel Scott said we, we're funny folk. We're funny folk in a good way. We're peculiar. He says that he might redeem for himself a peculiar people. And going on, he says that he gave himself for us to purify unto himself peculiar people, zealous of good works. Zealous, that means driven towards good works. And then he goes on to finish this way. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Folks, today I want you to notice four instances of rebuke and the way of the Christian life. Now, I'm not rebuking you today, but the Lord is rebuking those in these lessons that we have beginning in John chapter 6. We're going to notice, first of all, the rebuke of the food followers. This is the rebuke of the food followers. John chapter 6, look at beginning in verse 25. He said, And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? And Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? 
And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said, Therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. Okay, now here's what they're saying. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread. See, they were making reference to Moses there. Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So the first thing he's doing, he's rebuking. If you notice there beginning there in verse 26, how he rebuked them, he rebuked them and he called them the, the food followers. Now, Jesus rebuked those who had just been a party. They, they had just been a part of seeing the miracle of the feeding of 5,000. And so the rebuke was given because he perceived that in in their hearts, they were not following him because of faith in him. They were not following him because they believed in him. They were following him because of his power to feed them. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. There's a lot of folks like that. Brother Ron brought it up this morning. Instead of feeding them, he said, we need to give them the word of God. And that's true. And that's what Jesus always did was to give them the word of God. Now, he did take care of their personal needs. I think it's very interesting that he always preached first and fed later. Amen? He always preached first and fed later. What you'll discover if you feed first and preach later, they'll stay for the meal and leave for the preaching. Sometimes on Wednesday night, people will show up and they'll eat and they'll take off. Now, I don't know why y'all took me off on that note, but listen, we need to come to understand and realize that the reason that we're here is because of Jesus, not because of the food. Not because of what He can do for us in other ways, and certainly He can. All they were interested in was the food, and they didn't seem to even care where it came from. I want you to notice how Jesus attempted to clear up their seeming misconception about the source of the manna in the wilderness. They were, they were saying Moses provided it. Listen. But He offered them the opportunity here to believe in Him. Folks, I want to tell you something. In every culture, in every age of history, there have always been those who will become followers of whomever or whatever just for the handouts and freebies. Just for the handouts and freebies. God says that's not the way of the Lord. They'll sell their, they'll sell their birthright for a mess of pottage. Literally, you know, I don't care what else happens. I don't need that thing if I'm going to die anyway. <laughs> that's what Esau said. He said, if I'm going to die anyway, I'm not going to need that birthright. So here, take the birthright. Just give me some of that some of that soup. Just give me some of that chili that you made there. But I want you to remember that in response to their question about the works of God, and they ask about that, about the works of God, Jesus said that the work of God is to believe on Him in whom He hath sent. Believe in Him whom He hath sent. What's He talking about? He said, don't, don't worry about the food problem. Think about your eternal problem, and your eternal problem has to do with whether or not you believe in the one that God sent, and the one that God sent is Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of your own good works, he says. He says it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So the first part of the way of the Christian life is faith. Faith. Don't be a food follower, but believe in Jesus Christ. The second thing that I want you to notice found over in Matthew, Matthew chapter 16. And this is the rebuke of the sign seekers. The rebuke of the sign seekers. Beginning in verse 1, Matthew 16. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. Now I want you to notice. You don't, don't overlook that word, and tempting, and tempting. They came, who is it? The Pharisees and Sadducees. They didn't believe in Jesus, but they came tempting him. 
And he answered and said unto them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them, and he departed. In this instance, Jesus rebuked those who were seeking a sign because they were not seeking the truth. They were seeking a sign, and it was because they weren't seeking the truth. Listen, if they had just believed in Jesus, if they had just come to Jesus in faith, they wouldn't have needed a sign. You know, there's a lot of folks today that are looking for a sign. You know, if Jesus would just appear to me, I'd believe in Him. Well, get ready. He's not going to. He's not going to. They're not, and Abraham's not going to send, send somebody back from the dead to talk to all of your brothers and sisters about Jesus. He's not going to do that. He, oh, oh, please send him back so that they would believe. They're not going to believe. Listen, these guys weren't intending to believe. They had a preconceived opinion about Jesus that he was not the Christ, that he was not the Messiah. And no sign that he did was really going to change that. They asked for a sign only as an opportunity to trap him, hoping that he would fail. In other words, okay, show us a sign. And they were hoping that he would make an attempt at something and that he would fail. Well, the first thing is that if he makes an attempt at something, he's not going to fail. You can be sure of that. But you see, Jesus knew more about them than they did of themselves because he knew what was going on in their hearts and he knew it wasn't the same thing that was coming out of their mouths they weren't saying do this sign so that we'll believe they were saying do this sign so that you'll fail and we can condemn you as a fake folks i want to tell you something we live in a society of sign seekers they don't want to follow Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Follow Jesus by faith. They want proof. They want proof. Well, let me tell you something. The way of the Lord is not by proof. The way of the Lord is by faith. It always has been. It always will be. That's the way the Lord works. That's the way He intends it to be. The, the, the good thing about that is faith is so much easier. It's so much easier. It, listen, I want to tell you something. It's easier to believe in the creation story of the Bible than it is to believe in evolution. Did you know that? For one thing, you only have to go back less than 10,000 years. <laughs> I mean, anybody been here since the beginning of time? What about prehistorically? My wife and I, we laugh every time we hear the word prehistoric. What's prehistoric mean? It means before history. Is there anything that happened before history? No, if it's happened, it's history, right? Even if it's dinosaurs and whatever you believe about that, it's still part of history. They were looking for, they were looking for a sign. But following the rebuke that Jesus gave to these sign seekers, Jesus turned and renewed the faith of his disciples and he posed to them, posed to them a question that's found later in the Later in this chapter, in the 16th chapter, in the 13th through the 16th verses, Jesus asked His disciples saying, Whom do men say that I 
the Son of Man am. And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said unto them, Now listen, Jesus says this to every human being, to every person. He says, But whom say ye that I am? And my question I pose to you today, are you a sign seeker? If you're a sign seeker, I'm going to pose to you a question today. Who do you think Jesus is? And your answer better be just like Peter's. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That word Christ is the Messiah. That word means Savior. It means the one who was prophesied of and the one who is sent to save us from our sins. Folks, in order for any sign ever to be of any benefit, there must be no preconception. There must be an, an honest desire to know the truth. Folks, those sign seekers were held in bondage. They were held in bondage to their own preconceptions about the Messiah and what He would be like. But the truth is what sets men free. John eight thirty two, Jesus says it, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So the second part of the way of the Christian life is truth. Now the third part found over in Luke, over in the book of Luke, chapter 14, Beginning in verse 7, this is the rebuke of the place pickers. The rebuke of the place pickers. Verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 7. And he put forth a parable to those which were bidden when he marked how they chose out of the chief room, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lower room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. This is the rebuke of the place pickers. You know, whenever you come into a big banquet hall, what do you do? What do you do? What do you think about when you come to the big banquet hall? You come in and maybe there's a, maybe there's a marriage supper going on and, and, and you've been invited and you come in and, and you go in and you think, well, this looks like a good place. Maybe you get there before anybody else. Well, this looks like a good place, and you go over there, and you sit down in that nice place, and then a little bit, somebody comes in and picks up this place marker that you can't see and turns it around, points it to you, and it says, Bride. Now, that would be really embarrassing for a guy like myself. For you ladies, it might say, Groom. And you know you're in the wrong place. So the best thing to do is wait until everybody gets there, Right? Wait until everybody gets there and wait until they go and sit down and then you'll know where you're supposed to be unless there's a place marker that says Brody. That's me, by the way. Brody. Brother David. Dr. Jackson gave me that title, didn't he? Brody. You see, we need to, we need to come to understand that humility is always the best approach. Humble yourself. Don't think too highly of yourself. You know, let, let others put you in that place. And instead of taking the best seat and being embarrassed, take the seat to the rear or on the bottom floor, and then if you're supposed to be somewhere else, they will come and get you. You know, that happened to me one time. We were on vacation. We went off to Oklahoma, and Scott got sick, so we had to come home. Well, I already had somebody scheduled to preach for me, and there was a preacher friend of mine that I thought, well, I sure would like to go hear him preach. So Pat stayed home with Scott, and I went over to hear Reverend Adams preach. Reverend Adams is a, a black preacher who pastors a probably a fully, completely black congregation. And I went over to see him. He and I had become good friends through our association and so on and so forth. And so I went over to see him. When I pulled up into the parking lot, there was a young man with a long-sleeve white shirt on, black trousers, dressed up, and he came to me, and I rolled down the window. Didn't know what he was going to do. Rolled down the window, and he said, You park right here, right next to the building. Probably right next to the pastor's car. 
He said, you park right here. And I said, can you tell me where Reverend Adams is? He says, he's right through that door. And so when I got out of my truck, I walked over and went through that door. Well, they were in class. And he looked at me and he said, welcome, brother. Why have you come here today? And I said, well, I want to come hear you preach. He said, no, sir. He said, you're preaching today. I said, no, 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 wait a minute. I said, I came to hear you preach. And he said, no, sir, you're preaching today. And he turned to his son. And he said, Reverend Adams, he said, you put yours on hold because this brother's going to preach for us today. Well, we waited until 12 o'clock to go in. He kept me back in the back. They were singing and they were taking up offerings and they were praying. And finally at 12 o'clock, he said, now it's time. And we walked into the auditorium. First time I'd ever been in there. Walked into the auditorium. He had a, he had a pulpit about this tall. <laughs> Picture that. Tall man. We walked into that auditorium and there were three chairs. Two medium height chairs and one high back chair with arms. Looked like a throne. Really did. And we walked in. I followed him in and he said, sit. Well, I did. I went over here and I sat down in this low back chair. And he turned and looked at me and he said, No, sir, you sit in this chair. You're our honored guest today. You see, I sat in the low chair, the other chair. But he wanted me to sit in that chair. And folks, I want to tell you something. I promptly got up and moved. Well, consider yourself blessed today because that day we got out of church at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And we won't be here past one today, I promise. The third part of the way of the Christian life is humility. Humility. And the fourth is the rebuke. This is the rebuke of the throne takers. Matthew chapter 20. Over in the book of Matthew in the 20th chapter. The rebuke of the throne takers. Listen beginning in verse 20. Chapter 20, verse 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children and her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. He said, I don't make that decision. I don't make that decision. Here we find a mother, a loving mother, who wanted only the very best for her, for her boys. She sought what she thought was the best. She thought, well, if Jesus is truly the Messiah, like, like he says he is, it couldn't hurt to ask that they be considered for rank in the kingdom. What could it hurt to ask? Uh, of course, we need to not forget that the Jews believed that Messiah would come and set up an earthly kingdom. She was thinking that he was going to be a king on an earthly throne and there would be an earthly kingdom. And so she was just asking for a special rank and a special place for her two sons. I mean, after all, did they not deserve it? They had followed him all through his ministry here on earth. They had put up with stuff that nobody ought to have to put up with, but they did and they were there. And so she was just asking if they could have a special place in the kingdom. But that's the reason Jesus asked James and John. I think it's very probing and very appropriate. He said, well, okay, let's take a look at this. Do you really think that's what you want? Do you really think that's what you want? He said, are you willing to drink of the cup that I must drink of? Now, now I hope you understand the cup that he was talking about. It's the same one that he prayed about in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. What is that cup? That cup is the cup of God's wrath 
for our sin. Now I want to tell you something. The cross was not a happy place. You know, we, we see all these beautiful crosses. We see, we wear crosses and, and, and we see them everywhere, these beautiful crosses. I want to tell you something. His cross was not like that. His cross was rugged and, and splintery and His cross was covered with blood. Literally covered with His blood. And so what He was asking was, are you sure? Are you really sure this is what you want? Because if this is what you want, then you're going to have to go where I go. And then he turned around and said, no matter, you're going there anyway. You're going there because of your faith. They didn't comprehend that Jesus' kingdom is spiritual. So he went on to explain that the positions of the rank in the kingdom would be left up to the Father. And... And listen, please listen. And that it would be based upon service. It would be based upon service. You wonder whether or not it's worth it to serve the Lord? It is. It is worth it to serve the Lord. He said they would be ranked based on that. And you say, well, preacher, where do you see that? I'm going to read it for you. It's in Matthew 20. It's just a few verses over. Beginning in verse 26 through 28, Jesus says, Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, when he uses the word minister, he's not talking about a preacher. He's talking about somebody that serves somebody else, a servant. Somebody who's willing to minister to the needs of others, who's willing to care, who's willing to pray, who's willing to be available Always, always someone who is willing to love someone else. So another part of the way of the Christian life is service. Okay, so our subject today has been the way of the Christian life. And we've learned about the true way through Jesus' rebuke of the false way. In other words, what Jesus is saying, okay, you've got all of these, all of these different things going on, and he says, this is not it, and this is not it, and this is not it, and this is not it. But the way of the Christian life is faith and truth and humility and service. In the 2006 and 2007 school year, God entrusted to us a young Turkish Muslim. He thought he came to America to be an exchange student and to get some education here. But he really came to hear the gospel. That's the reason he was here. The whole reason he was here was to hear the gospel. When he heard the message of Christ, he said something very convicting. He said, you're Christ I like. It's your Christians I don't like. Before he left us, he testified that he had believed in Christ. But he left us a point that was very clear. And that is this. That many Christians don't do a very good job living for Christ. What did he see? He saw people being one way on Sunday at the church house and being a different way Monday through Saturday at school or at work or at the grocery store or the gas station or somewhere else. That's very convicting to me. You see, you have to have faith in Christ. And to have faith in Christ means to follow Him, to follow Him with everything that's in you. And that's so that when you come to the end of your earthly life, as we talked to the little children about a while ago, you might hear the words. The words of the Lord Jesus, they're in red letters in my Bible. Matthew 25, 21. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now listen. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Now, doesn't mean you're always going to have joy and always going to have happiness Throughout your life, you can always find that joy because it, that joy, the source of that joy is, is faith in God and living for God and knowing that you're serving God. That's, that's where that, that's the source of that joy. 
but there's going to be times when there's going to be struggles, there's going to be difficulties. And folks, I want you to know that it's only a short time. It's only a short time. If you live to be an old person, it's only a short time. But we're talking about for eternity. And I want to tell you something, there won't be any struggles, there won't be any sin, there won't be any problems or difficulties. Won't be any sickness, won't be any death, won't be any hurt, no pain. When we get to heaven, bless the Lord. Just bless the Lord. Father, thank You for the day. Thank You, Lord, that sometimes You teach us positive things through rebuke. You teach us good things and righteous things through discipline. And dear Father, I thank You for the Word of the Lord that that shows us that sometimes we get to following the wrong thing. We get to doing the wrong thing, maybe even for the right reason, because we're not paying attention. And so, Lord, help us to be reminded that we must always, in this earthly life, pay attention, because the old devil is as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. He's waiting for us to drop our guard so that he might destroy us. And Father, we know that he's more interested in Christians than he is in anybody else because if he can destroy our witness, he's won the battle. So Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to be strong. Help us to pray. Help us to read. Help us to study. Help us to follow. Help us to be humble and allow you to take control and help us, Father, to serve you with all of our hearts. Now, Lord, I pray you'll speak to us today. If there's anyone here today who doesn't know Christ and the forgiveness of sin, I pray that somehow or another today you might have revealed to that person the truth and the reality that the only way to know that you have eternal life is through faith in Christ. And dear Father, I pray you speak to Christians today. Dear Lord, I pray you'll challenge us. Uh, Father, we, we're, uh, we're always up for a challenge. Challenge us today, Lord, to be servants of Almighty God and to be servants of our fellow man, that it might be done for the praise and the glory of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You are listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas, with Pastor David McNary. Today, if you have a Bible with you, I want you to turn with me to a passage of scriptures found over in the book of Proverbs, chapter 31. That's a favorite for Mother's Day sermons because it talks about, and today the subject is titled, The Marks of a Majestic Mother. The Marks of a Majestic Mother. Theodore Roosevelt once said, when all is said, it is the mother and the mother only who is a better citizen than the soldier who fights for his country. The successful mother who does her part in rearing and training aright the men and women of the next generation is of greater use to the community and occupies, if she only would realize it, a more honorable as well as a more important position than any man in it. The mother is the one supreme asset of the national life. She's more important by far than the successful statesman or businessman or artist or scientist. Folks, what Roosevelt was saying is that the most important job in all of the world is motherhood. And it should not be taken lightly because mothers literally have the power to be able to change and shape the future of our entire world. That's why I want to talk to you today about the marks of a majestic mother. The passage is Proverbs chapter 31. It's verse 10 through 31. It has a lot to say. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant's ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. 
She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. That means he has a good reputation when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Today we want to talk about the marks of a majestic mother. First of all, I want you to notice what our scripture says, that a majestic mother lives nobly, lives nobly or lives a noble life. In fact, if you look at another, a different translation, you may be reading another translation, you will discover that they use the word noble instead of virtuous. And the reason that they do that is because nobody talks about virtue anymore. Maybe we should. Maybe we should spend time. The scripture says, who can find a virtuous woman? That word virtuous means chaste and pure, moral, and noble. All of those things are true whenever it comes to the word virtue. That word is found three times in the book of Proverbs. It's only found one other time in all of the rest of the Old Testament. And it's the word which was used by Boaz in making reference to Ruth. He said, all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous, that thou art a virtuous woman. It is true that a woman of virtue is more valuable than material possessions. As he said, her price is far above rubies. You see, when a young man looks for a mate, he wants a woman of virtue. He wants a woman of virtue. A man who has a noble wife, the Scripture says, has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. He knows that he has a woman that is dependable and a woman that can be trusted if you stop to think about it, employers and organizations, you know, ladies, uh, why all of these, all of these uh, charities and all of these things come around and they look for you and they want to put you into their, into their, uh, into their staff, whatever it is that they're doing. It's because they trust you. Employers and organizations, charities and churches are searching for virtuous women to work and to serve and to volunteer and to minister. And the reason that they do that is because they know that you can get the job done. You see, if you need something done, a mother can get it done. She might not be able to do it herself, but she can find people who will. A noble woman is in high demand and is worth her weight in gold. So first of all, a virtuous woman or a majestic mother lives nobly. The second thing I want you to notice here is that a majestic mother whew, labors diligently. A majestic mother labors diligently. You ever wonder why whenever you get ready to go to bed you're so tired? It's because you've been busy. You've been working. You've been laboring. The scripture refers to the responsibilities here of motherhood long ago. In fact, at least part of the writing of Proverbs is attributed to Solomon around the 10th century BC. And, and at that time, a mother's labors were, uh, were a little different. Yes, we, you've heard, you heard me read it a while ago. They were a little different, but it required great diligence. Back in those days, she made her own fabric. Let's see a show of hands. Yeah, I didn't think so. Back in those days, she sewed by hand. Let's see a show of hands. We got one of those at the house that you do this way. One of those treadle deals. Doesn't work, but it's been a long time since I've seen the other one with electricity work, too. <laughs> Somebody bail me out, will you? 
Uh, but it's okay. I'm not going to go deeper. Okay, now listen to this one. She walked to the market. The mother in that day, she walked to the market. And, and part of the time, she didn't even have to go to the market. She walked out into the field to get what she needed. She, she ground her own meal. Been a long time, hasn't it? She ground her own meal. She carried water from the well. Now, I'm not going to have you raise hands because there's several of you that have done that, carried the water from the well. She butchered her own meat. She tilled and planted her own garden. She took care of all of that. And that's why she was taking care of her children. Now, I realize we live in a different era with our modern conveniences. But the management of a household, even today, rivals the responsibilities of the management of a, at least a small business or maybe even a fair-sized business. The Scripture describes a mother like the merchant ships. Like the merchant ships. The merchant ships go to and fro. They take product from one place to another, and then they turn around and take product from that place back to the first or back to another place. Now, whenever you stop to think about it, maybe you... Don't, don't see the connection there, but just think about what it is you do every day. I realize you're not driving a ship, but you're driving something. Most of the day, you spend time going to and from, from here to there, picking up and delivering. Most of the time, it's children, but that's good. Have you, ever, have you followed the mother around lately? Guys, you ought to do that sometime. She can wash clothes and dry clothes and clean house and make beds and prepare a meal all at the same time. While she's looking after her children or her grandchildren. And she does all of that and she has time to plan birthday parties, volunteer at school, attend programs, go to ball games, concerts, art, science fairs, and stock shows. You see, what I'm saying is that a majestic mother labors diligently. The third thing I want you to notice that he says here is a majestic mother loves devotedly. A majestic mother loves devotedly. Listen, to be a majestic mother, you have to love your family. You have to love your children. And you devote yourself to them. I want to tell you something. It's not about you. It's about them. If we could all get that kind of an attitude to realize that I'm not the most important person in the universe... Now, you may think you are, but let me tell you, you're not. And whenever it comes to a family, you have to be devoted to your family. Ladies, you have to be devoted to your husband. It describes that. Verse 12, she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. In verse 23, it says, her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She's devoted to her husband. And she's devoted to her children. And then she's devoted to grandchildren. You see, a majestic mother loves devotedly. And despite the fact that her family is her first priority, she still has time and energy to care for the poor and the needy. Verse 21, she's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed. She stretches out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. You see, you, you care, you love people. And because you love people, you want to take action to be able to help people. And that's what love is. Did you know that? Love is action. Love is what we do. It's not just what we say. It's not just what we feel. But love is what we do. First John chapter 4 and verse 7 begins like this. John says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. God is love. In this is, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, that word propitiation means atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Listen, He not only tells us here of the action of God's love toward us, He not only tells us of the indwelling of God's love in us, but He also tells us of our responsibility. Listen, God's love is not to be gathered up and stored God's love is to be taken in and poured out. You know, if you take if you take water and you pour you a bucket full of water and you set it up and just hang on to it, it'll eventually get a little bit rank. 
But if you take clear, pure water, pouring it into a bucket and pouring it out of the bucket, if you're drinking out of the bucket regularly, then you'll find that it, that it won't get stale. The water won't get stale, but it'll remain clean and pure. And that's the way with God's love. Some people just try to say, okay, God, I want you to pour your love out. And you open up and God pours His love into you and you just hold on and hold on and hold on. Listen, that's not what God's love is about. He gave it to you. And He gave you the responsibility to share it with others. To share it with others. A majestic mother loves devotedly. Number four, a majestic mother leads wisely. Verse 26, she opened up her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness. A majestic mother leads wisely. One characteristic of motherhood which is most needed yet difficult to gain is wisdom. And I know that to be true because, you see, there are times whenever your children will spring something on you that you didn't know about, something that's been going on, and all of a sudden you've got to figure out how to handle it. Mama, what do I do about this? And you go, oh, but you know what? There's a problem because you don't have time to say, I'll get back to you. So you have to be, you have to be in touch with the wise one. You have to be in touch with God because God gives wisdom and whether you realize it or not, He can give you that wisdom in, a, in an instant. Wisdom is needed in making decisions. Wisdom is needed in managing money. Wisdom is needed in disciplining children. And don't fail to do that. Please, don't fail to do that. And wisdom is needed in prioritizing putting first things first. Wisdom is taught us by a teacher in a class, but wisdom is learned by the example of a mother. You see, if you live wisely, then you show your children how to live wisely. You show your neighbor's children how to live wisely. You reveal to others what it means to be wise. I read this one day. Mothers, you have to know when to hold them and know when to scold them. You have to know when to work and know when to play. You have to encourage them to do better while you show them their mistakes. Wow. You have to expect their best, but you have to know how high to set the standard. You have to let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. And you need to agree with your husband in all of those areas. Your job is a difficult job, but it's not impossible. Bless the Lord. A word of encouragement here. You discover how to do your job by seeking wisdom from Almighty God. Number five, most importantly, okay, number five, most importantly, comes from verse 30. A majestic mother lives by faith. A majestic mother lives by faith. I am going to say it one time. The most important thing that you can do for your children or your family or anybody else is to believe in God. Believe in God. Listen, you cannot, it's an impossibility to be the mother that God talks about in His Word without first knowing God through faith in Jesus Christ, knowing Him in the forgiveness of sin, without entering into a relationship with Almighty God. Faith is the undergirding foundation for all of the other characteristics. It's the undergirding foundation for all of the other great, majestic characteristics of motherhood. Ladies, you just can't possibly be the kind of mother you need to be without knowing God and without having the leadership of the Holy Spirit to guide you to do God's will. You need Him to prompt you. You need Him to encourage you. You need Him to enable you and strengthen you to be all that you can be and all that you need to be, not only in the service of God, but also in the service and ministering to your own family. So the most important thing you will ever do is to commit your life to God through faith in Jesus Christ. He says, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. We put a lot of stock in those things in our culture today. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. The one who fears God, the one who has faith in God is the mother that will be remembered. 
Some of you remember, some of you may have lost your mothers, and you remember your mother, and you remember the great things, you remember the good things that they did, you remember the way that they took care of you, but you remember their faith if your mother was a mother of faith. You remember their faith because what happened was whenever things became impossible, they depended on God through faith. And when they depended on God through faith, it all worked out because God can do that. And he listens to a prayer, to the prayer of a mother. When President McKinley heard his mother was dying, he wired home saying, tell mother I'll be there. Charles Fillmore picked up on the president's message and he composed a hymn which was sung by gospel singer Charles Alexander all around the world in his evangelistic tour with Dr. R.A. Torrey. And Torrey said this of the song. He said, No other gospel song ever written brought so many men to conviction and decision for Jesus Christ. Here's the words of the song. When I was but a little child, how well I recollect how I would grieve my mother with my folly and neglect. But now that she has gone to heaven, I miss her tender care. Oh, Savior, tell my mother I'll be there. Tell mother I'll be there in answer to her prayer, this message blessed Savior to her bear. Tell mother I'll be there, heaven's joys with her to share. Yes, tell my darling mother I'll be there. My friend today, young and old alike, there is no greater gift that you could give your mother on Mother's Day than to give your heart to God through faith in Christ. And mother, there is no greater gift that you can give your family than to give your heart to God through faith in Christ. When I was pastoring in Dripping Springs, it was on a Mother's Day Sunday. And there was a couple sat over on this side, a young man, a young woman, a small child, a young child, two to three years old, something like that, sitting over here. And I preached a message similar to this. And that morning at the time of the invitation, I looked up and here came that woman down that aisle. She came down and she came across and she came up to me, tears streaming down her face. I didn't know her. She was a visitor. I guess a first-time visitor. I'd never met her before. And she came up, and I asked her her name. She told me her name. And, and I asked her, why have you come today? And she said, because I want to be the kind of mother that I need to be, and I don't know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Well, her tears were mingled with mine on the floor at that point. Here was a young woman who was willing to put aside her pride. She was willing to put aside anything that would keep her from coming. She had heard what God said to her. The Spirit of God spoke to her heart. You know, all you have to do to follow God is just turn loose. Just turn loose. She let go. She let go of the back of that pew and took one step into the aisle and God delivered her and she came to faith in Jesus Christ. She believed in him. She said, I don't want my child to grow up with a mother who doesn't know God. If we could just somehow or another, in our minds and in our hearts, come to the reality that it's really not about us. I get tickled when I hear people talking about me time. Listen, me time comes after their time, after your children's time. They're not going to wait, okay? If you don't show them, they'll find somebody who will. If you don't lead them, they'll find somebody who will show them, and those people are going to show them the wrong way. It's your responsibility. Gee, preacher, thanks a lot. But the amazing thing about it is when you're doing and fulfilling your responsibility as a parent, as a mother, God is filling in all of the spaces. He's busy helping you do what He's called you to do. Now, mothers, I want you to know something. You're called because you wouldn't have a child if it wasn't for God. He's the one who, who makes those little children and gives them to you. And even though they may not have an instruction manual right away, He's your instruction manual. Depend on Him. Trust in Him. Ask Him. Look to Him. Read His Word so that you might discover how to be a majestic mother. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Father, for these mothers, these ladies. Father, for 
we, we just pray your blessings upon each and every one of them. But Father, I also pray that you'll help us each to, to, to look inward and to see, Father, uh, where you are in, in the list of priorities in our lives. And Father, while our children and our husbands and, and, and our wives are all so valuable and so important to you, you're more because you are our source of strength. You are our guide. You are the one who leads us and shows us the way. So, Father, help us first to look to you. And I pray, Father, for any mother who's here today who's not ever accepted Christ as personal Lord and Savior. Dear God, I pray that today might be the day. Father, I pray that they'll turn loose, that they'll quit depending on themselves and come to Jesus today. And I pray for children today and all of us are children, that, Father, we might realize that, that Jesus died on the cross for all of us, that He gave His life that our sins might be covered by His sweet, precious blood. And, dear Father, I pray You'll speak to hearts today. Lord, draw them to Yourself today and bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas with Pastor David McNary. A podcast of the service is available on demand at the KCAA website at www.kcaaradio.com. To listen to the service at any time, go to the KCAA Sunday schedule and click the podcast link under the image of Pastor McNary. The Pruitt Baptist Church is located at 9908 State Highway 110 in Van, Texas. The Sunday worship schedule includes Bible study at 9.45 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and evening worship at 6 p.m. For more information about the Pruitt Baptist Church, visit their website at www.pruittbaptistchurch.com or call 903 903- 963-7473. You're listening to KCAA, Loma Linda, California. The best station in the nation. This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. Many college students use social media. Research shows that students who often post comments and photos about drinking may be at greater risk for alcohol abuse. What was motivating students or driving them to both post about alcohol on social media as well as drink? And then what are the consequences of those behaviors? Then, a behavioral expert says gender equality at work is good for business and shares quick, low-cost ways that companies can reduce bias and boost performance. Focusing on getting the talent that we need rather than being biased by whether somebody conforms with the norms, the gender norms or the stereotypes. Those two stories and more are straight ahead on this week's InfoTrack. Stay tuned. The show begins right after this. I'm Dan Jaffe, CEO of Cat's Pride Fresh and Light Premium Cat Litter. Think your cat can't appreciate your new wardrobe purchases? Think again. I'll explain after this. Hi, I'm Katherine Heigl, film and television actress and producer and CEO of the Jason Debus Heigl Foundation. A supporter of animal rights, our foundation is excited to announce our partnership with Cat's Pride Cat Litter. Cat's Pride has always been a major supporter of the organizations like the American Humane Association and the Anti-Cruelty Society. And today, a portion of every sale of Cat's Pride Fresh and Light Ultimate Care will be donated to support our work protecting the rights and eliminating the needless suffering of animals in shelters across the country. It's great litter and it's supports a great cause. Cats see in color, so your fashion sense isn't lost on them. They also have fantastic night vision and only need about one-sixth of the light humans need to be able to see. No need to go buy your cat night vision goggles for the holidays. Log on to catspride.com to download coupons and be sure to join the Cats Pride Club. This is Shaquille O'Neal. And the Shaquettes. Reminding you that anytime, anytime is a good time. Good time. For the cooling, drying, fresh scent of Gold Bond Powder Spray. Like after the gym. Or a crowded elevator ride. Or golf. Or working with farm animals. Or a hard day's work. Like sports casting. You said it, ladies. 
Stay cool with Gold Bond Powder Spray. Stay cool with Gold Bond. <laughs> if your tires aren't working as hard as you are, they aren't working hard enough. Right now, purchase a set of four eligible Firestone tires and get a $60 Firestone Visa prepaid card by mail. Whatever you drive, drive a Firestone. Offer valid to July 4th. Card expires. Prepaid card is issued by the Bancorp Bank, member FDIC, pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. and may be used everywhere Visa debit cards are accepted. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Recent research points to a possible link between college students' abuse of alcohol and the content of their social media postings. Here to explain the study is Cherie Thompson, an assistant professor of communication studies at Ohio University and co-lead author of the study. Professor, before we get into the results of your study, can you tell us the scope of the research and how you selected the participants? We recruited undergraduate students at a Midwestern university. There are 364 of them that participated. And to participate, they had to be at least 18 years of age. They had to have had at least one alcoholic drink in the last month. And they had to have an active Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram account. So what did you find out when you did your research? What did you discover? Well, the purpose of the study was to sort of figure out what was motivating students or driving them to both post about alcohol on social media as well as drink, and then what are the consequences of those behaviors, because there's lots of research that shows that students who post more about alcohol report more alcohol problems, and of course, for a long time now, we've known that the more students drink, the more problems they report having, but we wanted to know, okay, what happens when we consider both of those behaviors together, and then also what motivates students to both post and drink. And so we found that having an alcohol identity, so once they identify as a drinker, they report posting about alcohol on social networking sites as well as drinking, which both of those lead to consequences. And so I would say that probably the strongest motivation is espousing an alcohol identity. Isn't there a sort of a cultural thing with college students around drinking? I mean, it seems like one of the main social activities involves drinking on campus. Or am I wrong about that? Absolutely. When you talk to them, I think a lot of students sort of expect that they come to college and they anticipate drinking a lot. At the same time,